0: Well, take care, 007, take particular care. The continent's a hot bed of villainy these days, and you can never be too careful. There was a sharp, steely look in his eyes, as though he knew something that was being hidden from Bond. As Bond left M's office, the old man had the grace to say he hoped there would be good news about May. At the moment, May, Bond's devoted old Scottish housekeeper, appeared to be the only worry on an otherwise cloudless horizon. During the winter she had suffered two severe attacks of bronchitis, and seemed to be physically deteriorating. She had been with Bond more years than either cared to remember. In fact, apart from the service, she was the one constant in his not uneventful life. After the second bronchial attack, he had insisted on a thorough check-up by a service-retained doctor with a Harley Street practice, and though May had resisted, insisting she was "'Tough as an old game, and not yet fit for the pot,' Bond had taken her personally to the doctor's consulting rooms. They had followed an agonizing week, with May being passed from specialist to specialist, complaining all the way, but the tests had proved undeniably positive. The left lung was badly damaged, and there was a distinct possibility that the disease that now showed itself might spread. Unless the lung was removed immediately, followed by a good three months of enforced rest and care for the patient, May was unlikely to see her next birthday. The operation was carried out by the most skilful surgeon Bond's money could provide, and once she was well enough, May had been packed off to one of the best convalescence clinics in the world, the Clinic Mozart in the mountains south of Salzburg, where, they informed Bond when he regularly telephoned, she was making amazing progress. He had even spoken to her personally the evening before, and he now smiled to himself at the tone of her voice, and the somewhat depreciating way she had spoken of the Clinic. "'She was no doubt reorganizing its staff "'and calling down the wrath of her Glen Orkey ancestors "'on everyone from maids to chefs. "'They dinner know how to cook yon decent we bite here, Mr. James. "'That's the truth of it. "'And the maids canna make a bed for two pence. "'I'd no employ any the one of them. "'And you paying all this money for me to be here. "'Yon's a downright waste, Mr. James, a criminal waste.' "'May had never been able to get her tongue round the word.' Criminal. He checked the fuel, deciding it would be best to get the tank filled before the long drive that lay ahead on the E 40. Having established there was nobody on his tail, he now concentrated on looking for a garage. It was after seven in the evening, and there was little traffic about. He drove through two small villages and saw the signs indicating proximity to the motorway. Then, on a straight, empty stretch of road, he spotted the garish signs of a small filling station. It appeared to be deserted though the door to the tiny office had been left open and the two pumps were unattended. A notice in red warned that the pumps were not self-service, so he pulled the mazan up to the super-pump, switched off the engine and climbed out, stretching his muscles, almost immediately alert to the noises coming from behind the little glass and brick building. Growling, angry voices, and a thump, as though someone had collided with a car. Bond operated the central locking device on the car— and strode quickly to the corner of the building. Within seconds he was moving with real speed. Behind the office lay a garage area, in front of which stood a white Alfa Romeo Sprint. Two young men were beside the bonnet, across which they held down a third person, a girl. The driver's door was open, and a handbag lay on the ground, its zipper ripped open and contents scattered. "'Come on,' one of the young men spoke in rough French. "'Where is it? You must have some. Give!' Like his companion, the thug was dressed in faded jeans and sneakers. Both men were short and broad-shouldered, with tanned, muscular arms. The girl protested, and the man who had spoken raised his hand to hit her across the face. Stop that! Bond's voice cracked like a whip as he moved forward. Both men looked up, startled. Then one of them smiled. Do for the price of one, he said softly. Grabbing the girl by the shoulder and throwing her away from the car, his partner standing over her as she sprawled on the ground. The man who faced Bond now held a large wrench, and obviously thought Bond was easy meat. His hair was tight and curly, and the surly young face already showed the scars of a street fighter. He came forward fast, in a half-crouch, holding the wrench low. He moved like a large monkey, Bond thought, reaching for the baton on his right hip as the mugger sprang. The baton made by the same firm which developed the 9mm ASP pistol looks harmless enough. Six inches of non-slip, rubber-coated metal. But as he drew it from his holster, Bond flicked down...